0: You're looking for a past idea you thought was just genius. Only you could find Oh, there it is! Drawing board or Miro! All our finished and unfinished work lives in one place. And he's one.
1: Join over 60 million people getting ideas noticed in Miro brainstorms. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com.
0: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
1: This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson center court is presented by the winner's circle network in conjunction with the samson family foundation striving to uplift empower and educate the communities we live in now here's ralph and your host mac mcdonald
2: welcome into the winner's circle network and center court with ralph Sampson. great to be with you and uh ralph today's a very very special day because of a special virginia athlete who is from the virginia beach area Uh, I'll give too much away, but I'll just simply say Ryan Zimmerman, who played baseball at UVA, is going to join us. And uh, what a run he had with the Nationals. But we are not sure it's over. And so that it leads me to my first question. First of all, good to see you. Secondly, when you retired mid-90s, right, when you walked away, how difficult is it for an athlete to retire? Well,
3: Mac, I don't think I can tell Ryan and anybody out there is playing anything professional sports winks, you know <laughs> whatever it is right um and, and it's funny because a guy named robert parrish
2: oh yeah uh you
3: know when i got in the league and i had these old guys that were tutoring me a little bit robert parrish elvin hayes caldwell jones major jones Al, i mean all these some great great veterans right right they said ralph you know play as long as you can and play as long as they're going to pay you. Right? <laughs> right? No matter what. That makes sense. Can, okay. You can, never, you can never go back and do this again. Uh, and, and and so you have to understand the the, the the game, but also the business of the game as well, because it leads to other things. So when I retired, you know, I was on one leg, basically. I couldn't mm-hmm. get down the court anymore. You know, Mac, I got to 280 pounds uh, when wow. I was in Phoenix. I worked out profusely was a guy named Mac Newton. Mac Newton put Bo Jackson back together with his hip and knee so he that? could play baseball. Right. So I went to the best in the business. I got my weight up. I got up, but I wasn't Ralph Sampson. that could jump from the free throw line and do whatever I could play. But the perception of Ralph Sampson to the Phoenix sun at that point in time. And the people that watch me, I wasn't, I was just a shell of myself. Right. So, Nobody would call me back up and do whatever. I went to Spain, Mac. I mean, mm-hmm. I played to Spain and played for a year. Uh, and best experience ever. So by that time, you know, I would play. My knee would swell up a little bit. I would stick a needle in the side. I would drain ah. it, whatever. I'd say, okay, this is just enough. So
2: yeah, uh, I, I retired on
3: my own own, uh, own idea and my own will. And Ryan's going to have to make that decision one of these days.
2: Yeah, pretty soon. So, Ralph, when you decide to retire, naturally, I'm sure it's a conversation with mom and dad. But what about your agent? Do you consult your agent and say, should I stay one or two more years? Do you think I'm marketable? In other words, do you have that conversation with your agent? Yeah, you have that
3: conversation. Uh, I mean, back then, it's different today than it was back then because we didn't have all the social media, all the opportunity that everybody has, right? So it's totally, totally different. You're much more marketable today and many more avenues to be marketed and that you can capitalize on and monetize yourself, right? So for me, it was stop playing, that was it, find a job, do a business or whatever. And it took me, Mac, a year, year and a half to regroup from just playing the game of basketball. Hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's October now and opening night, was this week in the NBA, and my body's saying, okay, great, I should be playing. My mind, I should be playing, but I look at it like, oh, I can't do that. I wish I could, but it's, it's a different mindset when you retire, for sure.
2: This guy is pretty special that we're talking to today. He's got several nicknames, Mr. National, Mr. Walkoff. He started in Savannah with the Sand Nats, and in just a few weeks, he ended up with the big club, the Washington Nationals. He started in 05, and really a a storied career, which we're going to talk about. So stay with us. Ryan Zimmerman, our guest, when we come back on Center Court on the Winter Circle Network.
4: To get into sportscasting, you need experience just to get your foot in the door. I can't tell you how many times in my career somebody will ask me, how do I get into your business? How do I become a sportscaster? The first thing I ask is, what have you done? Do you have any experience? And the answer is normally nothing yet because they couldn't find a program that provided the real world experience that you need to get started. So I set out to create a program designed for the next wave of sportscasting talent. And my partner was an obvious one. Full Sail University, great track record in entertainment and media, great alumni group, and the ability to evolve as the industry changes. We're offering a bachelor's degree that combines the professional expertise that my fellow sportscasters and I have built our careers on with the technologies shaping the world of sports. To succeed in this business, you have to be ready for what's next. But the core of great sportscasting, I don't think will ever change. And this program brings it all together.
3: In the air to left center field, hit pretty well. Bellinger goes back. Leaping, it's gone!
4: Brian Zimmerman, a three-run shot! And Here's one into center. Back at the wall, and it is gone! Zimmerman tees off here in the second inning. It's a two-to-one ball game, and that was Black. Zimmerman hits a shot. That's in the gap. Kendrick is going to score.
2: Zimmerman on his way to second. It's another two-out RBI. Zimmerman with a
1: double. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player, Ralph Sampson. Once again, here's Ralph and Mac.
2: Welcome into the Winter Circle Network, and this is Center Court with Ralph Sampson. We are pleased today to have one Ryan Zimmerman. A lot of nicknames, Mr. National, Mr. Walkoff out of Kellum High School in Virginia Beach, and you know, got to Virginia and the rest is history. He was a fourth overall pick by the Nats in 05 after spending a little time in Savannah, working his way up, got there in September of 05. And he just started tearing it up 16 years later, Ralph. This is one of the, this is one of the great baseball players. I can say that I know there's thousands of them, but this is, this is a guy that has meant a lot to the game for sure. Yes,
3: Mike, a lot to the game of baseball, but a lot to the University of Virginia as well, when it comes down to just the person that he is. So my, my, my question of the day is, and Mac, we've we, we, we had this thing. We used to play, if you don't uh, and excuse us, we, we, we play softball. We didn't play baseball. So I can hit a softball pretty well. <laughs> play first base pretty well. But my baseball stories we won't go into because I love baseball more than basketball growing up, right? And I could pitch a little bit, sidearm, but when you're seven foot tall or six seven whatever, it's hard to pitch and keep my muscles uh, in shape to do that. And then I was catching the baseball with my ungloved hand on the first base, and my mom said, you, "You you can't do that. You got to go play basketball." So, the question is: So you chose Virginia, and the baseball field was there when we were there. There wasn't a baseball field. I think you are the iconic person in, at Virginia as you are, but baseball has got your name all over. So, what was that decision like coming to Virginia? Because and we won't get to college sports too much, but the decision to go to Virginia is always interested me from my other
5: UVA uh, alumni. Yeah. I mean, I was, um, not heavily recruited out of high school, I guess you could say, uh, I had the September birthday and my parents put me in school. So I was the young kid in my class. Uh, all my buddies that I played, you know, summer baseball with kind of all the other sports when I was a senior in high school, they were juniors. So I was sort of the, you know, the underdeveloped physically not ready kid that was a senior. Um, and our, our high school team, my senior year, we had it was either six or seven guys get D1 scholarships for baseball and four guys get drafted out of high school. Uh, I was not one of the guys that got drafted. <laughs> um, I ended up at Virginia after kind of going on some visits to UNC Wilmington, UNC Charlotte, JMU, um, those kinds of schools. Yeah, good, you know, good schools, but not top tier ACC sports programs and then I went down to Florida on a like a these wood bat tournaments and had a pretty good showing and and coach Womack and coach Heon who were there before Mm -hmm. coach O'Connor saw me down there and when I got home we had a message on a machine that they would like me to come up and, and and take a look around the campus and see if I had any interest in going to Virginia and I was ecstatic my parents were excited so we drove up there uh and needless to say I mean I took a lot less money hardly any money my first year to go there because I would have the ability to play against Florida State Miami and UNC and you know I thought for me that was the best possibility athletically but also academically for me to go to college so it didn't i say I want to say UVA I didn't really pick UVA UVA kind of picked me I guess you could say Mm -hmm. uh but then once I, uh, once I got there and settled in and, you know, realized that it was uh, obviously the right choice, but Charlottesville has is, is always had a special place in my heart. I love that city and that town. And, you know, what it gave me the capability to do on and off the field in baseball, you know, is going to stick with me for the rest of my life.
2: <clears throat> did baseball always come easy to you or were there other sports? Were you one of those guys, you know, you excelled in everything, great hand-eye, but did baseball come easy?
5: Uh, I mean, I don't think any sport comes easy to say, to, to, you know, I, I played lots of sports growing up. I love, loved football and basketball as well. I was, you know, being younger, I was tiny. My dad grew up playing football, was a good football player. My mom was in lacrosse and basketball and, you know, both my parents were good athletes and my dad played football in high school and was really good and I'm getting hurt playing football. They wanted me my my freshman year in high school to play quarterback, and I was about 140 pounds, something <laughs> like that.
2: <laughs> and
5: my dad said, "Hey, man, listen, I'll let you play. I'm going to let you play whatever you want to play." He goes, "Until you get a little bit bigger, I'm just warning you're going to get you're going to get killed out there." <laughs> uh, so I would always play football with my buddies. I actually played AU basketball up until middle school years, and then when high school came every, every winter, I said I was going to go play basketball and then, you know, baseball would finish and the fall would come and basketball was too much running. man. (laughs) It was too much running, Uh, but I loved it. I still to this day would rather watch football on TV. Um, My favorite sport to watch in person is, is hockey now being in DC. Mm -hmm. um, I love going to the hockey games there. So I'm, I'm kind of like, Ralph, I like, you know, I like all sorts of sports. Uh, growing up, I wouldn't say baseball was my favorite sport as a youngster. I kind of liked football and, and basketball better. Um, I grew up a block away from the beach. so I did a lot of water sports as well, surfing, wakeboarding, things like that. So, um, you know, I did a little bit of everything. And, you know, you don't really see that that much anymore with the young kids. I feel like they're pressured in. They're pressured into to choosing a, a one sport at such an early age. I think it's kind of detrimental, honestly, to them becoming better athletes. So I was lucky to be able to kind of play everything. And baseball is the one that kind of came out on top at the end. And so
3: now that you mentioned before we got started, you have a son and maybe one on the way as well. So you actually will let yours play multiple sports as they grow up, like, I mean, I played baseball. I didn't play football because I was a little bit too tall for tight end and stuff like that. But uh, I, my, my mother did make me play the piano. So that was my uh, other non sport thing. But I, I would agree with that because kids don't get to play all the sports and then pick and choose what may be best for them or what they what they like. And it's funny because I, I love baseball more than I love basketball at this stage. But I was growing so fast and things was happening as well. And they moved me to left field. I'm like, okay, this is kind of boring. So no balls hit on left field. Yeah. You know, what am I going to do with that? So I moved on to – and then basketball was boring as well because I can only play on eight-foot baskets and you can only score 16 points. I said 16 <laughs> points in the first quarter. So yeah. that, that – that, that, that whatever pushed you to baseball and then what motivated you to just become the player – we understand the parents made you the person you are, but what motivated you to play baseball
5: and be hall, hall of fame caliber baseball player? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, as you, as you play all these sports and, is, is you know, you become a better athlete, you become well-versed in all sorts of things. I think as my dad always used to say, kind of things will take care of themselves. You know, you, you, know, it, it always seemed like, you know, you said you love, you know, basketball wasn't what you love the most, but you grew too much. You, you know, it just, things kind of work their way out to where, you know, it makes the decision. I want to say it makes the decision easy, but you know, it's better to have options and and make a choice. And for me, baseball, I just love the game of baseball. Um, I love kind of my buddies, my teammates, Uh, a lot of my friends started gravitating towards baseball and we would do things in the summer together. Um, And then as far as developing in baseball, I think honestly being younger, and not being physically as mature as the other guys around me, I had to mentally make up for that. So, you know, I was thinking, you know, what am I going to do before the pitch happens? What am I going to do if the ball comes to me? What, because I wasn't as fast and strong as those guys then. And I think that honestly helped me down the road because then when my physical maturity caught up, I already had the mental side down. And when you, can, when you combine those things, obviously that's what kind of makes, a special player or someone that you want to call um so I think being being young and being physically immature in those last couple of years of high school and honestly even my first year in, in college uh really helped me to learn the game and kind of be mentally ahead of the other people uh, so I mean that's kind of what I would think let me get to the level that I that I've been able to get to in baseball
2: When we visited a lot and and I was doing the games back then, uh, Ryan, but when we visited a lot and I'll always remember those days behind the batting cage with you and Sean and, and, and just learning a lot about the game, it was something you wanted to do, right? You wanted to be strong mentally and understand the game inside out, didn't you?
5: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I wanted to be the best at every aspect of it. And I think, you know, nowadays we're so statistically analytically driven, um, you have to be able to quantify everything. You have to be able to say, "Hey, this number means this." You know, this. You know, in college, obviously, mm-hmm. it's for different reasons. In professional sports, it's for it's it's for monetary reasons. I mean, let's be right, honest right. they want to yeah. they want to be able to quantify the player to to justify paying you this much or this little. And the players want to be able to quantify themselves to right. say, "I'm worth this much or this." You know, and you know, we've become so obsessed with with analytics and data and i'm not mm-hmm. saying it's not a an important part of the game but you know the mental side the chemistry side the being a good teammate the being a good person in the community um you can't put that kind of stuff into algorithms or into equations and i think honestly we've lost kind of sight a little bit of, a little bit of that with the players nowadays we look at them as as machines instead of instead of human beings which i think is sad and you know, I hope it comes back, and, you know, hopefully I think it'll come full circle. But data and analytics are a good thing, but they're not the – I don't think there's the be-all, end-all with all this stuff.
3: Belted. Deep left center. The ball game is over. Ryan Zimmerman has delivered the happy ending for the Nationals in the first game in their
1: beautiful new ballpark. Ryan Zimmerman with a game-ending home run. This is Center Court, presented by the Winner's Circle Network, in association with the Sampson Family Foundation.
2: Welcome back to Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network, and our guest is Mr. National, Mr. Walkoff. He is Ryan Zimmerman, former Virginia Cavalier. He was drafted, Ralph, in the first round as the fourth overall pick by the Nationals in 05. And after being signed on the day he was drafted, he gets to go to Savannah. Now, if you've never seen this stadium, he played with... The sand Nats. Okay. Yeah. Is, is the team there, Ryan, it was a quick ascension to the nationals. Take us through that, that early professional career. I got to know, what were you making with the sand Nats? Can I ask? Add- <laughs> <laughs> oh,
5: uh, that's a good question. I don't even remember. Uh, it's those guys still today. Don't make, make enough money. It's uh, <laughs> you know, obviously that's been all over the news about how little mm-hmm. minor league baseball players make. Um, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's when you're sleeping, you know, and blow up mattresses on the, uh, on the living room floor of a, an apartment and you're sharing with four or five other guys. So you guys can <laughs> split the rent and, and pay as little as you can. But, uh, but yeah, I was there for, uh, for like a week or 10 days. And I went to Harrisburg for basically two months. Uh, and then September 1st, I got called up. So it was, uh, you know, it was obviously, uh, a crazy year to think in February, we started at UVA, played in February, played the whole season. Got drafted in June, went to Savannah, went to Harrisburg, got called up on September 1st. I ended up playing pretty much every game that September because they kind of wanted to see what I had for next year. Mm -hmm. So I got a hundred, a hundred summit bats in September. And then they actually sent me to the Arizona fall league from the end of September and I went home. I want to say a week before Thanksgiving. So basically, from February 1st until November 15th. Wow. I played baseball that year. So
1: it was, uh, <laughs> wow. it, it was a
5: long year. But I, you know, I was 20 years old. I turned 21 that September, and I wasn't going to complain about any of it. I was happy just to to be to be playing, to get drafted, and then. To get called up as a 20-year-old and have a chance to kind of showcase myself for the next year, and I looked at it as an opportunity to set set my career up that not many people get. So I just tried to take advantage of it. Take me through the family. So draft day,
3: you don't know where you're going, don't expect whatever, and then get called up. Is that family-wise? Where were you? What was happening? I mean, I know you were celebrating whatever, but people out there understand draft day, which is very special. Uh, memories, and I'm sure in your life and your family's life
5: as well. Yeah, I think when when you have any landmark days, like a draft day or in September when you get called up, you know as well as I do. I mean, when you're in it, when you're when you're working, when you're playing during the season, when you're practicing every day, you don't really have time to sit back and and think about accomplishments or yep. or getting drafted or you know things like that. So on those days when you actually have a chance to to celebrate or you know, to kind of notice, man, this is pretty cool what I've been able to do in sports. I think the draft days and, and, and when your family and your friends and your coaches and, and everyone's around, those are the days and, and those are the times when it kind of hits you. First of all, how, how lucky and how cool it is to be able to do what we do, but how many people it takes to get you to that situation you know, the coaches, the your parents or whoever, grandparents or neighbors or whoever were driving you all over the place to practices when you were younger, uh, you don't realize how many people sacrifice kind of their time and, and parts of their lives to get you to where you ultimately get. So I think that's the coolest parts of draft days and when you get called up or when you make all-star teams or when you win World Series, yeah. you, you kind of realize how many people are part of the I guess the spider web that, that gets you to where you're at. So those are my, that's my favorite part of those days. You get to actually recognize and, and thank the people who basically allowed you and helped you get to where you're at. Absolutely.
2: Knowing you, Ryan, the way we do and to follow you in your career, you never seem to get too high or too low. So that September 05, you're in the show. You're—I mean, this is the whole the whole Bull Durham thing. You're in the show. Yeah. Did it blow you away? Did you say, "Okay, this is—I—I belong." This was no big deal.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think I was lucky to have some some veteran guys that sort of took care of me, kind of taught me the right way to do things, and basically they told me kind of what I tell everyone when they come up now is, you know, it's the same game up here. Um, you know, the, the rules are the same. You know, the dimensions of the field, you know, the bases are the same, all that sort of stuff. The hardest part is the mental part up there. And, and, you know, everyone that gets there has the talent to play there. It's the ability to to fail or to not have maybe instant success up there and still stick with your plan and, and be the same player that got you there. So I think the mental side of all professional sports, mm-hmm. obviously, I know baseball more than more than the others, but. I think everyone has the talent once you get there it's sort of the ability to to believe in yourself and, and to stay like you said kind of steady and not too high and not too low when things go bad but almost more importantly when things go well to know that you know things are going to go like this and you have mm-hmm. to sort of stay stay focused and and just kind of stay in the grind and, and put your work in every day whether you're doing good or bad and, um, you know, they always say the hardest part is to stay there, not getting there, but to, to stay there. And that takes the most work. Mike, you, you,
3: you've heard other athletes we've had on the show and mm. the similarities with what he's saying and, and a Rick Barry or whoever had is they have that internal motivation and drive to be great. And and I can you know, I got goosebumps hearing what he's saying because like I said, I want to go play. I can't. and you know at this point, but also. You think about it if you know the game that well, I can coach it. I can probably coach baseball, Mac, you can coach it, 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 everything out there, right? If you put your mind to it. But do you ever think about life after baseball, uh, especially with kids uh in your world? And how will you teach your kids the same way your father taught you? Because right. it's it, you know, that's the legacy that's that's there, right? And it's something I think something special in that and what you're saying because. You probably can sense if a guy's going to be good today or not. And I could do that with basketball. I can sense that a Rodney McCray played University of Louisville. I can sense that
5: he's going to be good tonight, and I can sense when he's going to be just average. <laughs> you can just yeah, sense. yeah, you can usually show – it's kind of like, you know, you'll go to a Little League game and one or two kids. Right. and You can watch one inning and you can say, hey, that kid's going to be – you know, you can pick out the kids at that time that are – more advanced than you think would have a shot. And the Same thing as you, you know, you can do it on a nightly basis. I'm sure if you watch basketball, you can watch someone warm up, you can watch them go through shoot around and things like that. and You probably have a pretty good idea who, who's going to have a decent game. You know, obviously sometimes during the game, people make adjustments, but, right. uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, coaching is interesting. I'm, I'm lucky because, you know, I live in the area. I was with one team my entire Entire career, so I will always be involved with the Nationals in some way. You know, I think, I think that role, whatever it is, will sort of come about organically. You know, whether whether it's player stuff, whether it's front office stuff, whether it's you know both of those, um, whether it's going around and seeing some of the minor league guys that are in the area. You know, we have a couple teams that are within an hour of, of my house, so I have kind of the ability to do a lot of things for them. And you know, I kind of want to, you know, if I could pick what I wanted to do, I do a little bit of everything the first few years, whenever i am done and kind of see what I like the most. Um, I definitely want to be around. I think, you know, after 16, 17 years of being on the road and, you know, being home for a week, gone for a week, you know, it's kind of nice to actually be home and and be able to be around my kids. And and so whatever it is, it won't involve as much travel <laughs> at, least at, the, at least at the beginning, until my wife gets tired of me. Yeah, yeah right. She gets and we tired of me being at home.
2: And but. we don't we don't want to speculate, but you know we had to ask. I'm not going to say have you made the decision, but is there a timeline? Because everyone wants to know about Mr. National. Is is there going to be another year?
5: Yeah, I, you know I I tell everyone you know I decided to do the year by year contract because honestly every offseason I'm going to assess and see where I'm at at mm-hmm. the beginning of this year. If you asked me, I would have said it was about 50, 50 that I'd come back. Uh, I've kind of been telling everyone, it didn't really, those percentages didn't go up in, in favor <laughs> of coming back next year. Uh, you know, this year was, was an interesting year for us. You know, we're lucky the last 10 years, our ownership group has put us in a position to, to make the playoffs and try and win a world series. Uh, you know, it did, trade deadline this year because of those last 10 years, we've kind of depleted our farm system and they had to do something basically to get some more, some more minor league talent. We had nothing left in the, in the system. So they, they obviously traded everyone away, Mm -hmm. got some great young talent. Um, So we'll see what they do this off season. Um, You know, a lot of it's going to have to do with, first of all, if I come November, middle of November, when I start working out, if, if if I have that uh that drive <laughs> and, the, and that fire to to get up off the couch and start working out four or five days a week because that's <laughs> usually when we start for for next year uh so that would be the first kind of I guess question that to, to answer and then honestly you know what they do with the team I think you know if they're going to be competitive and if they're going to go out there and put a team on the field that has a chance to win the World Series that that makes you think about coming back. Um, you know, if they're going to let these young guys play and maybe sign one or two guys that, that can help them. And, you know, everyone wants to win. Everyone wants to be competitive. I've I've done the deal where you lose 90, 95 games a year. Um, yeah, I not think fun. it was – it's not fun. Uh, luckily for me, it was at the beginning of my career where I didn't know any better. And, you know, I think it made me appreciate winning more when I was able to win down the road. That being said, I don't know if I could go back – back to that point, you know, at at this point in my career, I don't know if I can go back to that. So I think those are some of the questions that I have to consider and and moving forward, those will be big, big things that I consider, whether I'm going to come back next year or not. I got here when I was 20 and I'm 37 now. So, you know, for the better part of my life, really, this is what I've I've known and and what I've done every day. So I think it just kind of shows you how much how much this city means to me, how much the organization means to me. Ever since I've had two daughters, I cry all the time anyway. So, you know, it's, uh, it's just part of it now. You just gotta, you just own it pretty much is how it works.
1: The Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball star Ralph Sampson. Again, here's Ralph and Mac. Welcome
2: back to the Winter Circle Network and this is Center Court with Ryan Zimmerman of the Washington Nationals, former Virginia Cavalier. Ralph, I'm going to give you a a date and this guy's done everything, okay? On October 22nd, 2019, first career World Series at bat, he hit the first World Series home run in Nationals franchise history. So, you know, can Ryan do no wrong? Uh, Ryan, the the pressure of a World Series, what was 2019 like?
5: Well, the year was roller coaster i mean we started 19 and 31 that's been well publicized and talked about um they actually wanted to fire davy trade everyone <laughs> and then all of a sudden you know we we start playing better we get back get back to 500 i mean that was in the clubhouse we knew we were more talented than obviously 19 and 31 mm-hmm. baseball is a crazy game uh, we knew we were, you know, we just weren't playing well. But the good thing about baseball is you play 162 games. So yeah. you can start 19 and 31 and have a chance to recover. It's not it's not the ideal spot to be in, obviously. But we kind of just sort of had a meeting one day, not really like a called team meeting or anything like that. And, you know, we were kind of just like, hey, man, it's either, you know, starting today, we either, you know, we got to try and win this game today. And then we started winning. We started playing better. You know, we got to maybe five, six games under 500. And then we we're like, all right, guys, let's just get back to 500. Let's just get there. That way we're kind of at ground zero. And then from there we can go. And we knew everyone in our division and, honestly, around the league, as it got, like, July, August, and we were sort of in striking, striking distance at that wild card, you know, spot. We knew if we could get there, nobody would want to would play us. So we kind of had that motivation of being the team that has to get hot to get in. Our pitching, you know, we had Strass, Scherzer, Corbin, Anibal Sanchez, who was an unbelievable veteran pitcher. So we knew if we got in, nobody would want to play us. So we kind of had a weird confidence of being the team that was going to sneak in, but kind of knowing we were the best team, mm. but not having to, but not having to be that number one seed or be the team that's supposed to win. And sometimes, honestly, that's a better spot to be in it's than be the number one team. Cause we have done that too. You know, with, you know, we had seasons where we won 95 games, 97 games, and you're supposed to be the team that wins the world series. And, you know, and that's not a, I mean, I think a lot of people are fine with that too, but coming in it from this angle, honestly, it was more fun. You had a, you know, the pressure was on the other team. It was kind of like you were playing with house money that year. So we just kind of used that as motivation. And then it snowballed. And, Ralph, you know, as as soon as you get winning and you get a team that that chemistry is together, all that stuff is contagious almost. And it wasn't – you know, you'd fall fall behind three, four runs. And it wasn't like, are we going to come back? It was when are we going to come back and who is going to do it? Because everyone – was doing something, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it was a starting pitcher pitching out of the bullpen, whether it was, you know, how getting a hit, you know, we had, it seemed like every night it was someone different getting the hit. So it was just such a fun group of guys and a fun ride to be on that year that honestly, once we got to the world series, it was just like a, I mean, the pressure obviously is great in the world series. Uh, The biggest thing I noticed was just the amount of media and I'm sure it's like that for NBA Finals or what you know, you know, the first round of the playoffs, you notice it. The second round of the playoffs, it gets a little bit more. And I had been around the game for a long time. So you see all this stuff, all star games, things like that. And when I walked out on the field in Houston for the first batting practice, I was <laughs> floored with the amount of media, you know, from basically from first base all the way around to third base. I mean, you had to ask people to he had to say, excuse me to get onto the field, which, you know, so that was the biggest thing that I saw. And I was like, man, you look around and you're like, this is, this is cool. You know, we're the only game on anyone who's watching baseball. Right. This is the game you're watching. I mean, you're like, man, this is, this is why you play the game. So, you know, the pressure obviously is high, but it was just so much fun being in in that arena that on that stage and being able to showcase your talent to, to everyone in the world, I I enjoyed it, enjoyed the heck out of it.
3: I went to the finals in the NBA. We lost our three point guards. We had point forwards, <laughs> lost them on drugs. We had that same meeting, and we looked at each other, and I said, let's do this. The coaches didn't, didn't think we could do it. Nobody thought we could do it. <laughs> and those meetings, a coach can't call that meeting. It's got to be a player. It's got to be internal fire. What was that feeling like when you could see that kind of come together and you look back now and like, that moment in life, with another moment like this quite special <laughs> to you about having that meeting with players uh, at that period Town time to win uh, the World Series?
5: Yeah, and I think those are the best teams that you're ever on are the ones where the coaches stay in their office. Davey always said, you know, the locker room is your guys' place. I don't want to come in here. I want to stay out of here. My door is always open to my office if you guys want to come in here, but this is your place, you know. And that's what he would always he would have a meeting every spring training with you know, the six or seven veteran guys on the team. And he would come in there and we'd lay out the rules and he would kind of say what he expected of us. And we policed it, not him. Right. And, you know, Dusty Baker, who is managing now, is one of my favorite guys of all time. He, he brought me, Harp, I forget, maybe one or two other guys in before the season Said He said, hey, listen, I'm not going to have many meetings. Hopefully I don't have any, because that means we're playing great. But if we play bad for a week or 10 days, you know, I might have a meeting. I might have two meetings, whatever. He goes, I'm going to yell at you
3: guys.
5: (laughs) He said, he said, don't be alarmed. Even if you're not doing anything wrong, I'm going to yell at you. Because if I can yell at you guys, then I can yell at anybody. You know, I don't, you know, so he treated his superstar players or his main guys the same way that he treated, you know, the 25th guy on the roster. And he said, that's how I get respect from everyone. And that, you know, being a player, I learned from that. You got to treat everyone the same. Because like I said, when we were going on that run, you need everyone right. to win. No matter what sport you're playing. You said you had three three point guards go down. You know, maybe someone that was only playing four or five minutes a night. Now that person's Still they're can. playing. So, you know, at the beginning of the year, if you're not treating that guy the same as all the other guys now, you know, you got to treat everyone the same. They're on the team for a reason. So, you know, I learned, and I think me and Max and uh, all those guys that were kind of the the veteran core group of that, you know, we held each other accountable no matter who you were, you know, if Max messed messed up or did something wrong, he, you know, he wore it, you know, it was him, you know, he owned it. And, you know, I think that accountability and just doing your job and knowing what your job is and what your role is, And being the best at that, you know, that's what that team did the best. And, you know, it obviously, you know, that's I think I'm 100% certain that's why we won the World Series.
2: You know, Stick, I think I'm hearing mature locker rooms normally win. You know, mature locker rooms that can handle things like that. I mean, this is a pretty good lesson. If you're in a boardroom, it's the mature boardroom of the mature sales staff that gets – if they have a down quarter – they know how to get out of it. And I mean, I think that, I think what Ryan says is really spot on.
5: And you have to have the young guys too, though. I mean, you have to have the young, the young energy. So like the day on a Wednesday when we have a one o'clock game and maybe the Tuesday night game went 10 innings and you didn't get to sleep till two in the morning. And you're back at the field at 9. AM and you're dragging a little bit and, 21 year old Juan Soto comes in there and he's bouncing off the walls, you know, (laughs) you know, he, he, he challenged without, without trying to challenge you, he challenges you that day. You're like, gosh, dang it. This guy's ready to play, you know? So you need that combination of the young guys, you know, youth to balance out the old guys. But then when, you know, Juan or Victor that year does something, you know, maybe a base running blunder something like that you know it's our job as a veteran guy to go say something to him Absolutely. not the coach not so it's it's a balancing act you have to have the young guys you know for their for their talent first of all but you know those guys lift you up some days when you when you need it and Mac, there,
3: there's no analytics, Ryan, that can tell you how to do that. I mean, you, you can't pay $150 a year for analysts to tell you when to do that. So that's the best part of, of sports when you got to feel for it.
2: And, Ralph, I think what we're hearing is that Zim is describing what it's like to have kids <laughs> 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 with, with what he's yeah. got down the down the pike with beautiful girls and a family. And, uh, yeah. uh, Zim, I tell you what, we want to wish you all the best. And thank you. And good luck on the decision. And it's, you know, we're going to feel good that you're around the game, you know, that you stay yeah, within sure. the game of stay baseball somehow. Sure. And uh, again, just because I've been involved in media a long time, I think you'd be I think you'd be a great guy in a booth, you know, <laughs> next to Carpenter. So <laughs> yeah, make, was, make them
3: make them drag you off the field. Stay as long as you can.
2: You true, tell me,
5: stay as long as you can. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. For sure.
2: Zim, stay in touch. We'll talk to you very soon. <laughs>
5: All right, guys. Thanks for having me. That was fun.
2: All right. Ralph, Mr. National, Mr. Walkoff, Ryan Zimmerman. We'll continue with Center Court on the Winter Circle Network after this. Hi, this is Mac McDonald, host of Center Court. I've known Ralph Sampson for over 40 years. I watched him grow as a basketball player, achieving greatness at the University of Virginia and at the professional level. I always admired his work ethic and the things he did to be the best. Since he founded the Samson Family Foundation, so many people, young and old, have benefited from Ralph's efforts. The mission for the foundation is simple, striving to uplift, power and educate the communities we live in. The foundation promotes charitable and community input, educational development, health and fitness, and scholarship opportunities. The Samson Family Foundation's initiatives focus on patients with cancer, educational scholarship programs, and give students guidance in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. If you'd like to learn more, call 540-615-5097. The website is samsonfamilyfoundation.org. Uplift, empower, educate. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. Welcome back to the Winter Circle Network in Center Court. And uh, what a terrific guy and, and a family guy. And he's helped his mother, you know, said MS. And, you know, Ryan Zimmerman is pretty special. And I always remember. Uh, hanging around the batting cage with him and Sean Doolittle, who, who had a cup of coffee with the Nationals. He pitched for them for a while. And I would learn more about baseball with those guys when we, 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 I was broadcasting uh, that team. And uh, it was just a lot of fun to get their insights, but they were so professional and so level-headed that, you know, they are the epitome of an athlete who is focused, who does what he has to do, and he sat out COVID year, which he talked about. You know, yep. he sits out the COVID year, talks with his family, goes back for one more year, and we'll have the discussion again. And it just—it uh, was just great to catch up with with Zim. Certainly was. Uh,
3: I mean, he's an amazing guy, person, etc. I mean, does a lot of charitable stuff. So, I mean, I've been with him in shows at you know, some of his charitable MS events. But Mac, think about—he's one of those iconic players, athletes at UVA in the baseball world, right? Right. Because, I mean. It, it, you know, you you remember the track and we played softball. There wasn't a baseball field oh. up on that hill like it is today, right? And they then, took
2: old astroturf from Scott Stadium and put it in the infield.
3: Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, I mean, that's how that's how baseball was back then. But now, base—you've made baseball programs one of the top in the country, mm-hmm. and Zimmerman, I think had a lot to do that's with that as one of the building blocks of, of, of that um, that sport at University of Virginia.
2: Yeah, that's a great point, point. and I'm having fun. Watching Chris Taylor with the Dodgers, who yes. played for UVA, who got the base hit that got him into the College yes. World Series about six years ago. So when you can look at the guys, the Chris Taylors, the Ryan Zimmerman's, the Sean Doolittles of the world, and what they've done, hey, it, it all points to one man too, and that's Brian O'Connor. So that's pretty yeah, good. Absolutely. stuff. All right, I mean, all right we transition. My favorite time of year with college football, college basketball, NHL underway, which uh, I love. But now NBA underway this past week. Who's your pick? Can the Lakers, can Russell Westbrook help the Lakers? I know you keep tabs on the Lakers. Can Can Russell Westbrook help this team? Well, Mac,
3: October, I think we said this before, is the best sports month
2: best every every year every best. sports playing hockey baseball
3: football <laughs> best. basketball so, uh you know and i don't watch the game against the lakers in golden state steph curry is his first triple double in like a couple years right right but, but, but he's the other thing but the lakers uh and charles barkley said this as well they're a little bit too old in the tooth. lebron is probably the, the best athlete out there but russell in that game had like singles like five points eight mm-hmm. rebounds two assists four fouls, five turnovers, right? <laughs> and that was his homecoming, right, back right. to Los Angeles. So if it was my homecoming, I'm going to play to the best level I can. Now, I did watch Mike, which I think is funny. So he walks into the arena with some red pants on and a yellow <laughs> yellow tank top shirt, think like it's all muscles. So I wear clothes like that, I better <laughs> sure play my tail off, right? And so I'm like, okay, and you play like that, but – I uh, A. I don't think it's I don't think it's a a shoe in to win the national to win the championship right. to win the world title. I don't think it's that way. If you look at what Milwaukee did to to uh, Brooklyn uh, this week as well. It's crazy because they were in stride and they didn't have their whole bench. They didn't have firepower. They had a couple of people hurt, whatever. But Giannis and the crew, whatever. Yeah, they got on top of them with like thirty five to twelve at one point in time and just rode them on out. But, again, they got their rings uh, this week, and they were excited. They were hyped up, and it's opening night in the NBA.
2: Yeah, I think somebody told me one time, if you're going to dress like Bruce Springsteen, you better you're be better better play like Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> so, anyway, Ralph, good one. We'll talk to you next week. Good to see you. Absolutely. Thanks. All right. For Ralph Sampson, I'm Mac McDonald, and that's Center Court on
1: the Winter Circle Network. You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winter Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. Teamwork makes the dream work.
0: Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today we discuss technical diagramming with systems architect Maya. Let's go. First question. You've spent... Ten hours slogging over a sequence diagram that should have taken five. Drawing board or Miro board?
1: Drawing board. And if I'm being honest, Miro would probably cut that time down by half. You know, with its AI tools and ready-to-go templates.
0: Next, your diagrams become so bulky, it's more complex than the solar system. But all it takes is a
1: few clicks and... It's Miro! I've used those technical shape packs way too many times, and stuff is just digestible on its infinite online canvas.
0: Now, the final question. Everyone's brought in, but you have to Make all these tasks all the way over in JIRA. But wait,
1: it's done. Is it Miro? Easy with its two way JIRA sync. Easy to plot dependencies. Everyone always knows what's up. And she's done it.
0: Join over 60 million people creating technical diagrams without workflow glitches. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's
4: M I R O.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger.